Welcome to the Let's Get Vulnerable podcast with me, your host, Dr. Morgan Anderson, clinical psychologist, relationship coach, love expert, creator of the ESL relationship method, and athletic wear connoisseur. My mission is to help you raise your self-worth, have great relationships, and step confidently into the next level of your life. Each week, two episodes will air featuring expert advice, live coaching, and tips showing you exactly how to improve your life and attract great relationships. You deserve to feel empowered, secure, and loved. So buckle up and let's get vulnerable. Okay, I know you've heard of hot girl summer. I want to help you do something even better. I want you to have a securely attached summer. And that is why for only the month of June, I'm offering a discount for joining the program. And we know no matter how much we work on our our hair, our bodies, whatever, all the external stuff, going to the gym, etc. None of that compares to actually doing the internal work and finally taking the steps to move towards that securely attached version of you. So if you've been on the fence, maybe you've been listening to the podcast for a while, and you just haven't made the leap, I want to invite you to apply now to the Empowered, Secure, and Loved Relationship Coaching Program. It is incredible, the transformations that are happening consistently inside the program. I know that you're deserving of getting off the dating roller coaster and really stepping into that next level version of you where you effortlessly attract that relationship that you desire and you become the securely attached version of yourself who has all of the tools that she needs to attract and maintain a healthy relationship. So let's have securely attached summer. And through the month of June, you can use the code secure summer 10 to join the program at a discounted rate. So the spots are limited. And this code is going away at the end of June. So make sure you go apply now. And you can let the team know you have the code secure summer 10 and you'll get 10% off the program. I cannot wait for you to take this step for yourself. You are deserving of doing the work and what a great time to do it as we're going into summer. You deserve to fully enjoy the summer and be at that next level version of you. Welcome to the Let's Get Vulnerable podcast. This is a very special episode we have an awesome guest with us today. Welcome to the podcast, Thais Gibson. It's great Thank to you. have you. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. Yeah. And I want to let the audience know who you are before we get going. So I'm going to read a little bit um, just so they have an idea of, of who you are. So Thais is an author, speaker, and co-creator of the Personal Development School She's extremely passionate about personal growth, the subconscious mind, and connecting with others. With an MA and over 13 different certifications ranging from CBT to hypnosis, she strives to continuously learn and grow. So she's best known for her contributing work and research on attachment theory, 
And you all know that that's what I'm crazy passionate about. So we're going to have a great conversation. Um, and she's researched the impact of attachment trauma on our adult romantic relationships. She overlaps attachment trauma challenges with personal core wounds, limiting beliefs, and emotional patterns at the subconscious level to give us deeper insight into ourselves and our relationships. Her book, The Attachment Theory Guide, was written on this topic, and her YouTube channel often focuses on educating people on how to subconsciously reprogram this area of their lives. So, wow, what an intro, and I can already tell we're going to have so much that we want to talk about. So, welcome. So excited Thank to have you. you. <laughs> Thank you so much. Very happy to be here. And... I wanted to really start off with asking you, what was it that led you to this work specifically and really brought you to attachment theory work? Because I know I have my own story that led me to it. And I'm just so curious, what was it that, that got you interested in it? I would say my journey, like definitely didn't start there. Um, it definitely started like, I definitely, okay. So I, I grew up in a very chaotic household lots of extreme fighting mm -hmm. um, and was exposed to a lot of stuff very early on. And so I think from a very young age, like I had parents who were very loving um, and very caring, but like, you know, fireworks all the time, just extreme chaos, all sorts of mm -hmm. different interesting situations that I saw very far beyond my, you know, too early probably for a child. And so I think I had a lot of like natural curiosity about relationships. Um, I think that as a byproduct of that, I grew up with my own like very unhealthy relationship patterns. I was fearful avoidant attachment style. Um, and, but really what kicked off my journey is that when I was 14 years old, I had a knee surgery and I was an athlete and um, trying to scout to, to get a scholarship to go off to school and um, actually became addicted to my painkillers and didn't even know like what addiction was, but had my first experience of like withdrawals and all these different things. And so at around like 14, 15 years old, I went from being this like high achieving student and athlete and all these different things to like, oh, I'm having a really hard time coping in life, period. And, you know, feeling kind of isolated and alone on that journey and going through a really big struggle from about 15 to 20, 21 years old of like, you know, the vast majority of the time, like daily use of opiates and, and, you know, trying lots of different things in that process like that were, you know, AA, NA, rehab, all these different things and not really getting the answers I was looking for and not seeing results. And then, you know, was still like fairly high functioning, was in school, kind of like dropped out of school, went back to school again, went back to school again, went through this whole sort of series of things, trying to do life as best I could. And had somebody basically say to me in, in passing in a psychology class, who was kind of like a friend or mentor to me though, and, and said, um, the conscious mind can't outwill or overpower the subconscious mind. And like, this was this very, you know, I know some people have like gradual change for me. That was like this very pivotal moment in my life because it was this mm -hmm. realization that, okay, like my conscious mind wants sobriety and wants this world and to be happy and live this better life. My subconscious mind has different motives. And that's why I keep saying, oh, this is the last time I'm going to do this. This is the last day I'm going to do this. This is, and you know, then the same cycle repeats and repeats and repeats like Groundhog Day. So you know, to answer your question, really my journey started there, like really trying to understand the subconscious mind and like dove really deep into that work, started a client-based practice at a fairly young age. I actually was 
started my client based practice while I was finishing, finishing my graduate program and, um, and started seeing in relationship dynamics that people have these really similar patterns and then learning about Mm -hmm. attachment theory and sort of overlapping. Wow. We all have these like subconscious specific core wounds. We have these specific needs that we bring into relationships, specific expectations, even specific emotional patterns. And I just found like everything fits so much in alignment with attachment theory that it gave me this like framework for how to work with people. If I could figure out their attachment cell, we sort of went beyond attachment theory and it became, okay, these are your big wounds, these are your big fears, these are your expectations, these are your needs. And these are exactly mm-hmm. the things you have to do in order to heal. And so it gave me more insight into like the individual and then into the relationship between two people. And it really translated to long-term me working with couples more than anything else. Um, but still doing that like individual one-to-one work. So powerful. And I, I really appreciate you. I know that there's so much that you could say and you're, you're giving us the, the short version. So, but wow. Um, I think about attachment theory as a framework and just how powerful that is. And I know not everyone who's a coach or who's a psychotherapist, um, you know, et cetera, not everybody has that attachment theory training and, it's just so powerful. It really can feel like the missing piece of the puzzle with relationships when you really start to learn about it. Um, and I love that you're talking about the core, the core wounds as well. And it really got me thinking how really when we look at attachment styles, they are just a, a way to describe a coping mechanism to get our needs met. Cause we all have that need of connection and that, that need to have that object in our life. That's a cure object and whatever attachment style we have is just a way of being to try to get that need met. And then you and I know that there's ways of beings that are not as helpful, such as the anxious attachment, disorganized, fearful, avoidant. Um, how, how did you take your, awareness of, okay, I have this fearful avoidant attachment style. I have addiction that I'm overcoming. Can you share a little bit with us? Like what was that process of healing for you? Yeah. So, um, for sure it started with trying to figure, okay. So there was a whole bunch of different things that really would be a very long story, but essentially I had like, for sure, a strong rock bottom in life. Okay. That led me to be like, I really need to change and I really want to change immediately. And this is scary living like this and really trying to figure out a way. At the same time, I had like this, this sort of mentor in my life that was like a friend and, and gave a lot of like insight and advice. He was my age, um, but he was just this like very wise person that would constantly mm. just be like supportive and very spiritual person. And, and, it sort of set me off on this like track and I got really into meditation first and meditation was so interesting for me because I started really spending a lot of time observing my own internal dialogue and the patterns of Mm -hmm. my own mind. And I realized like, wow, a lot of the patterns of my own mind are basically like a lot of the patterns of my internal dialogue are basically like the internalized dialogue of my mom and dad, like whatever, Mm -hmm. like big features I had here from dad and wounds from him. I talked to myself like dad talked to me whatever big wounds I had from mom, I talked to myself, like mom talked to me. And it really like made me realize a lot of like these things that are driving my life are not necessarily programs that I like volunteered for, but more things that were imprinted upon me. So it got me really interested in kind of like overlapping, like understanding, observing my mind and being able to disidentify and watch some of these patterns mm-hmm. with like 
patterns about the subconscious mind because I started going into like hypnotherapy and, and that sort of route. And I realized that like we basically go through life and we get this, all these imprints and we get these imprints, which basically become beliefs that we have about mm-hmm. ourselves. And so when we talk about core wounds, for example, what I discovered with other people and myself is that we have these like core wounds and they tend to be related to attachment styles. So like anxious, preoccupied individuals tend to have core wounds that are like, I will be abandoned. I will be alone. I will be rejected. I will be excluded. I will be not good enough. I will be disliked. And those tend to be like these big core wounds. And these wounds or imprints we have drive a lot of our thought patterns throughout the day. Like, oh, did this person like me? Oh, I don't know if that, how that interaction went at work. And we spend a lot mm-hmm. of time thinking about and ruminating about these wounds. So it's almost like we have these beliefs, which are the wounds, which produce patterns of thought, which produce patterns of emotion. Yeah. And emotions are made up of neurochemical reactions. So our belief imprints at a subconscious level affect our neurochemistry. And then neuroscience has proven that we actually make every single decision based on our emotions. So, you know, we have this whole like chain reaction of events from like these imprints we have from trauma, basically, or painful experiences that then go out and, you know, create all the way up to like the actions that we're taking on a daily basis. Mm-hmm. And I started to like read a lot about stuff and I was in school and doing certifications and all these different things, but I was really observing these things in myself more than anything else as I was learning mm-hmm. about them. And so I realized like for myself at the time, fearful avoidant or disorganized attachment, or some people also call it um, anxious avoidant. This attachment style is the attachment style that tends to have sort of the anxious and the avoidant side. Yes. And so, mm-hmm. but it's, it's got those anxious wounds of like, I'll be abandoned. I'll be alone. Mm-hmm. And there's those anxiety feelings, but then they have like the, the dismissive core wounds, which are like, I'll be trapped, hopeless, powerless. Mm-hmm. Um, I am defective, which is a lot of like our shame that we carry, you know, feelings of defectiveness. I am unsafe. I am unworthy and I will be betrayed are really big ones for fearful avoidance. And there's big like trust issues in, in relationships. And a lot of the time as probably yourself and many people that maybe listen to this show know is like when we have these experiences with family or caregivers or some person in our life, who's a significant figure in our upbringing, when they, when there's a lot of inconsistency and a lot of chaos, Mm-hmm. We never know what to expect or what to trust. So we can't form like a proper attachment strategy. So you go through the world and like, let's just use an analogy where let's say dad is the alcoholic in the family. And let's say one day dad's drinking and he's nice. And another day dad's drinking and he's angry. And another day dad's sober and he's nice. And another day dad's sober and he's going through with- withdrawals and he's angry. It's like, you never can pick who who is dad today. Like we never know. And so what actually happens is when we have a lot of chaos, whether it's through fighting or addiction or whatever we see in the home, what actually ends up happening is it's like, we get these imprints that are like, well, we can't trust. We don't know what to expect. So we adapt as fearful avoidance by becoming really hypervigilant. And it's like, Mm -hmm. let me read between the lines at all times. Let me try to guess. Let me try to see. And just naturally from that comes a lot more suspicion and a lot more like I have to control my life. So I'm not relying on other people because I have negative emotional associations programmed about that. And so we have all these different patterns and fears. So for myself, you know, a lot of it was like understanding these main narratives that I was carrying about people, about myself, about not being good enough, about having to earn my worth in the world, about not being safe, about not being able to trust. And then really working when I started learning subconscious reprogramming tools to change those programs. And then beyond that, I would say, you know, there's so much more to say, but then beyond that, it also becomes can we learn what our needs are and can we actually be vulnerable enough to share those needs and to see them through if somebody forgets and to show up and execute on communicating our needs 
in order to do that, we also have to be able to show up for our own needs and meet our needs ourselves. So there's this whole inter interesting yeah. relationship there. And then setting boundaries becomes a really important thing in terms of healing. So if we do reprogramming, we do needs work, we do boundaries work, that tends to be a huge starter point for like really reprogramming and shifting to secure. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think anyone who um, has listened to the podcast or even people who've gone through the program that I have, which is the ESL program, they will know that I am 100% on board with what you just talked about and acknowledging that it really is so much reprogramming, changing your relationship blueprint is one way that I'll say it. Um, and I think one thing that I think you and I agree on that maybe not everybody does in the field is that you can always do this work that you can, you can move to securely attached. There are some people who say, Nope, whatever your attachment style is, that's what it is. I like not possibly disagree more with people. I know, I know it gets me heated. So anyways, I'm glad that you're, you're on the same page and knowing that people can do the work. They can move to secure attachment. And I think honestly, the disorganized attachment style, which I also um, had in the past and spent a lot of time with those attachment strategies myself. uh, I really think it's probably one of the more exhausting attachment strategies because it is you're you're hyper vigilant I think a few things make it exhausting <laughs> I mean for sure hyper vigilance yeah for sure that I think the constant flip-flopping is the really flip-flopping. tough on, on obviously the partner of the fearful avoidant or partners throughout life yeah. but but also on the person who's mm-hmm. going should I say, or should I go? Do I like the person? Do I not like the person? And there's just this constant like inability to sort of settle in and feel calm yes. and get rooted and grounded. And I think that's partially, obviously the programming and our subconscious comfort zone. Yeah. But I think it's also, you know, the byproduct of like nervous system dysregulation that's just been happening for yes. so long. And there's this fear of like even being able to relax into something and get settled into something. And, and it just sort of goes against your entire program. But I think when people talk about, okay, we can't, um, change our attachment style. Yeah. If you address things at the conscious level, but if you address things right. at the subconscious level, that's where real change exists and occurs. Yes. And it's the same thing I grew up with, which was like, you're an addict. You're always going to struggle every day with an addiction. It will always be a battle. It will always be. And I understand that the messaging is coming from a well-intentioned place, but like I can say from personal experience and also working with so many people on addiction, attachment, attachment style, reprogramming, all kinds of stuff that like, you can literally get into a place in your life where you do not think about addiction. Like it's just, you're living so peacefully, happily and joyfully, and it's just not a problem. And it's not even on your radar. And I just thank God that I didn't accept that as like, okay, great journey start stops here. I'm going to struggle every day because, you know, sometimes there's just limitations to that messaging. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I'm so, I'm so glad that there are people out there who have, you know, created the work around reprogramming, changing beliefs, knowing that it is possible. Um, I want to shift a little bit. So let's say we have someone who has done the work. They're in this securely attached place, but they're newly securely attached. And for the first time, they have that great relationship with themselves, right? And they're honoring their needs, they're honoring their boundaries, and they're finding themselves in healthier relationships for the first time. 
how, like, what would you say to people who are having difficulty accepting love and accepting that feeling of safety in that newly securely attached experience? So I would say there's usually three things happening and it can be one of three things or it can be all three of these things. So the first thing is, you know, relationships will always reflect back to the relationship to yourself. So sometimes when we're going through massive healing, we can change a lot of programs. We can really get on board in a lot of ways, but sometimes somebody is actually reflecting to us like things that we're still not showing up for in the relationship Mm -hmm. to ourselves. So maybe like, for example, let's say somebody's disorganized and they are, they've really worked on their trust wounds. Maybe they trust somebody, but maybe they still have a core wound. That's like, I am unsafe. And maybe as they get closer, Mm. they still feel like, okay, wait, I still feel that I am unsafe coming up. They may have done a lot of work, but there may be these sort of lingering pieces. So it could be, I am Mm. unsafe. It could be people will get bored of me and then leave tends to be a belief of, of disorganized attachment styles. Like there can be little remnants of things just to still focus in on. So what I always suggest to people in that case is like, get really specific, you know, ask yourself, what specifically is this? What am I specifically afraid of what's going on? And when you can convert that feeling into words, you can work on reprogramming that belief pattern that may still exist. So I always tell people to check in on everything first. And that's a really important place to start space. Number two, and this is also really common is like a lot of individuals just have a subconscious comfort zone and the subconscious mind really wants to maintain familiarity because familiarity equals safety, which equals survival. Mm -hmm. So if we've gone our whole entire lives and we are used to chaos, and if our, a lot of our programmed associations emotionally to, to love are chaos, because let's say you saw chaos on the home and then you're, you had a string of chaotic relationships in your adult life. Like it's going to be hard for your subconscious mind to accept. And so what we actually have to work on reprogramming in those cases are things like safety is safe. Yeah. Comfort is safe. I am worthy and I am deserving of safety and comfort in my life. And we actually have to like program that in Mm -hmm. and we have to get our nervous system on board. Like, you know, do that work in meditation, do that work, you know, in breath work or have time to like be and downregulate so we can get comfortable knowing what it's like to feel safe and actually building in positive emotional associations to that experience. This one, this one is so key. And this is where I'll hear people say, I'm just waiting for the other shoe to drop. Like they, they can't, they can't feel safe. They can't relax because safety doesn't feel safe Yes, because it's that new experience. Definitely. And, and that's where it's like, you really have to program. No, no, no. Safety is safe. I deserve, I'm worthy. I, you know, so all the different things. And then I would just say one third thing that I see come up a lot is, um, there's a life cycle of relationships. So we start the life cycle and like what I call the dating phase of their relationship, which is like, we're vetting somebody, we're getting to know them. We move into the honeymoon phase and the following phases are based on Dr. Susan Campbell's work. We go into the honeymoon phase, then the power struggle phase, more disorganized attachment styles, but even anxious preoccupy can feel like this as well. Um, that like those phases are the comfort zone, the intense infatuation, the excitement mm-hmm. that, you know, and then the power struggle that follows. And that's usually where most relationships break apart. But after the power struggle phase, there's the stability and commitment phases come next. And then the bliss phase, if we can get there. So what often happens next is you go into the stability phase of a relationship. And for a lot of people who are not familiar with that, the stability phase can feel jarring. And especially coming right out of the power struggle phase, sometimes we think, okay, to stay safe, I still have to be on guard for the power struggle. And Mm -hmm. so it can be really beneficial for people too to realize that, hey, there's actually a life cycle in relationships. And it's normal to go through like a more calm period 
period. And that doesn't mean that like, you know, sometimes we feel like our needs for novelty are missing and things like Mm -hmm. that, but then those are just needs and you just have to bring them into your relationship and identify them and then execute on them. And then really good stuff tends to follow. Absolutely. Yeah. I agree with this. And I think another thing to add is sometimes when you've been used to codependency, um, you can think that, wow, if they're not meeting all of my needs, that something's wrong, but it's also that, that realization, okay, I can get needs met in other relationships, right. In my friendships and my work life and my spiritual life and allowing the relationship to be part of your world, not your entire world. hundred percent. And it's so interesting. Like when I find people are in a space of codependency, you know, one, one of the most important parts of like reprogramming that is literally to realize that if we want to have healthy relationships to other people, a hundred percent, we need balance in all the different seven areas of life. Like you're mentioning, like yes. physical, spiritual career, financial, all the areas, but we really need um, to be able to show up and fill our cup halfway first. Like yes. if we don't know how to meet our own needs, then we put extra pressure on other people because it's like, Oh, I can't meet my need for love and connection. You have to meet it. And then when you don't, it's like the sky is falling, right? It's like Absolutely. the biggest deal ever because now it's like death to self. Like if we believe yeah. that our needs are not going to be met, it's extremely jarring for somebody. So it's like, we feel like, okay, am I going to survive at a deep, deep sort of more unconscious as opposed yes. to subconscious level. And so it's like part of like breaking the codependency is, can I identify what my needs are? And can I learn to have strategies to execute them myself? Absolutely. And then also reprogram any fears I have around receiving them properly from others. So when somebody does yes. give me a need, it can actually land. I can accept it. Yeah. Yeah. I think about codependency and it, when we don't realize it's happening, it can just be so detrimental, but you know, if you're giving to someone and then they're, you know, they're just accepting it and you're, you're giving, you're giving, you're giving, meanwhile, not receiving, you're building all of this resentment up. And then you're just wondering, okay, why am I so burnt out? This, this relationship is totally draining me. Um, you have to be able to give to yourself first. <laughs> I like, I, I can say this cause I've done it. I, yeah. You and I probably have lots to share in terms of our beliefs about these things, but yeah. like, I literally talk about with people how there's a cycle, right. And like what yeah. conflict is in our relationships is it's a perceived imbalance from time, space, energy, or matter. Yes. So, So like you have this like perceived imbalance and then like, literally I joke with this with fearful avoidance all the time. Like, so you overgive because you feel naturally unworthy. So you're trying to compensate for that. So you overgive and then you under receive because it feels scary to receive because you may be a burden. Mm -hmm. You may, you know, be abandoned. If you take too much from somebody else, people might think you're bad or greedy or whatever. So you have these limiting beliefs that cause you to not want to receive from other people and not want to rely on other people sometimes too. So you, you feel unworthy. You overgive to compensate, you underreceive, then conflict is born of that perceived imbalance. Mm-hmm. So then you b- build all this resentment. And then usually for fe- fearful avoidance and sometimes anxious preoccupied, then it turns into protest behaviors. You're feeling frustrated mm-hmm. and upset. And then you get angry and then you feel guilt for pushing the person away. Mm-hmm. And then what do you do when you feel guilty? You go back to overgiving. And so mm-hmm. it becomes this like cyclical thing of like, oh no, I, I got angry yes. and I feel like a terrible person. So let, now I'm going to overgive. And then the cycle just kickstarts and it becomes like this vicious cycle for insecurely attached people the vast majority of the time. Oh yeah. I, I think about that cycle and how so many people do that unconsciously over and over and over in relationships. And they think that 
it's the relationship, but you and I know that it's really the attachment strategy and it's more about the pattern and the beliefs you have about yourself, the beliefs you have about relationships. So um, yeah, such a great example of why you have to do that internal work. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. um, I'm going to just add one more thing really quick, but I was having a conversation with them somebody the other day and we were talking about how like fearful wouldn't go through that cycle and that pattern. And he was saying, you know, it's funny because they fearful ones often think that they are the, like they get often upset, right? Like that's a characteristic of fearful avoidant or disorganized attachment style. So, so they'll become upset and there's like, there can be some emotional volatility there. And it's usually in their mind at the time justified because they're like, well, so-and-so didn't call me back after I like remortgaged my house to help them with their thing. And, and they can't even call me back. And so they feel like it's just right. They're like, I, my, my rage, my anger, my frustration, mm-hmm. it's justified. And we were talking about this and we were saying, you know, it's interesting because you think it's justified because you think my anger is the effect of your cause. You couldn't call me back mm-hmm. after I did all these things for you. So of course I should be angry. But like in reality, the vast majority of the time, and this kind of goes for all attachment styles, is like the way people treat you is actually a reflection of the relationship to yourself first. Mm-hmm. So still we're the cause, right? It's like right. you have this cause where you don't set boundaries or you don't communicate your needs. Yes. Then you get into this position where you overgive and then somebody doesn't show up for you and return the way you expect them to, because you have this expectation for somebody to meet you where you met them. And then you're yeah. like, but my anger is justified, but it's like, actually the relationship to yourself is really the root of that problem that needs to be cleaned up and fixed. Absolutely. That really speaks to, I think what happens sometimes is that relationship dynamic can also serve to help us avoid our own work. So if we're terrified of going internal and doing our own healing and really looking at ourselves, we'll, we'll find ourselves in that overgiving dynamic because it's, it's easier to try to take care of other people than to do the work on ourselves. Absolutely. And I think that it's like, I think we have, you know, all these insecurely attached styles. They have different ways that they avoid real intimacy. Right. But it's funny because you think like the anxious preoccupied is like the emotionally available one and they are at like a surface level, but like their blocks to intimacy are like, let me people please. And let me avoid being truly myself and being truly seen and heard and, and truly authentic because I'll probably get rejected if I'm like that. So I people please to try to gain connection. But at the same time, there's like this huge block to intimacy and relationships Mm -hmm. because somebody's like people pleasing all the time and not truly showing up and being themselves. And then you have like the fearful avoidance who are like overgiving and caretaking and they're blocked intimacy is they usually won't receive care back and they won't like show up for themselves that way or rely on others or, and then you have dismissive avoidance who obviously avoid intimacy through just not wanting to be vulnerable whatsoever because they believe it's unsafe and and just makes them Mm -hmm. feel bad at the end of the day. So it's interesting because you Mm -hmm. think like, oh, some are more emotionally available than others, but really they just have like different Different ways. Yeah, exactly. It's all that, that core fear of real true intimacy. Yeah. 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 And I've, I've been writing a lot and talking a lot lately about how that securely attached intimacy is a very different experience than past dynamics of if you're used to that anxious avoidant dynamic or times where, where you're blocked, when you can really let go of the blocks and actually receive securely attached love, that is a whole different level of intimacy 
trust in yourself, trust in the other person. Surrender is a word that comes to mind. Um, but it's a really wonderful experience. Definitely. I think one of the biggest things is like, it's, you're not on the roller coaster and whatever that looks like for different individuals is like, you think, okay, I'm not on the roller coaster, the passion, the passion, like of the, and really a lot of people will be like, no, no, no. You're like the difference. Cause I hear this all the time from people. It's like, I don't feel terrified or anxious all the time. Let's say from somebody more anxious, preoccupied. Do I, do I really care for the person the same way? And it's like the love actually builds, like the analogy I often give to people is it builds much deeper roots over time. Like yes. we can have all this attraction and infatuation, but if we don't have that like vulnerability, we don't have that openness, we don't learn to like show our flaws, state our needs and listen to somebody else's and accept their flaws and learn about their needs and like really yeah. integrate, then you constantly go through life expecting relationships to always be in the honeymoon phase or the infatuation mm-hmm. phase. And what really transitions them beyond power struggle and into like stability and commitment and all these later phases is, do you show up and do you show like your inner self and your inner being? And do you share that with somebody and open it Mm -hmm. to somebody and vice versa? And I think sometimes people who generally struggle with trust can be like, it's so scary to like settle into a relationship and to feel like there's a deeper connection, but that's actually like what really builds the trust between two Mm -hmm. people. It's like being able to connect on much deeper levels and bond just beyond like the surface level of honeymoon phase and show up for yourself. And that's what becomes, it's scary to do at the beginning, but long-term, once you're past that like fear part of it, it becomes very comfortable and settled in and very safe. And like, Mm -hmm. yes, yeah, definitely. Yeah, I like the roots analogy. I've talked about how um, securely attached love is like the ocean, Mm-hmm. And the other, other relationship experiences can feel like rivers and streams and creeks, <laughs> yeah, like you know? That. So it's like that more shallow experience, just what you're talking about. But in the ocean, if you don't know how to navigate it, it can feel kind of scary, right? Mm-hmm. But when you have the right tools and you have the self-trust, it's this amazing place to be. That's so beautiful. I love that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so we're, we're talking about moving to that secure, secure place. But one thing I want to make sure that people know too, is that that doesn't mean that you are 100% of the time in this place of secure attachment. So just kind of talking about, okay, there's still going to be moments where maybe some of those um, anxious strategies come up or the avoidance strategies come up and how to navigate that when those pop up. Yeah. I would say like a couple things to almost expect along the journey are number one, it doesn't happen overnight because like literally you're reprogramming. So Mm -hmm. reprogramming takes a little bit. Research shows it takes about 21 days to reach like the subconscious mind and then like up to 63 days to reach the unconscious mind. So Mm -hmm. you sort of have this like shift that takes place over time. Um, and that's like, if you're just working on a specific core wound or whatever it might be, or you're working on like doing exposure work on your boundaries or, or, you know, whatever specific area you're working on. So oftentimes it can take a few months before you're seeing like really, really dramatic results. Mm -hmm. But I mean, like, let's say three months to see dramatic results versus, you know, the decades and decades of suffering that are ahead and in your relationship areas, if you don't do the work, it's so important to do it. And I would also say like, what I find, and this tends to run very, very congruently, is that as you start shifting, you'll see that like you still have the same triggering patterns, but they happen less intensely when they show up. Yes. 
And then they start happening less frequently and less intensely and year over year and time over time, eventually like the intensity and the frequency are are so off the radar that they're really rarely ever there. Mm -hmm. And and then you may have times where like, you're a human, like being securely attached does not mean that you're like enlightened for life and you're in this perfectly happy, joyful space of elation for your entire, you know, future ahead. Like we're still human. So stuff's going to happen. Like we're going to have a bad day at work or we're going to have something happen in our lives. And like, we're still going to be human beings. But I think what really determines you like upholding that security even in the moments of being triggered or having stuff come up is just your approach and response to it. Like, do I lash out at somebody else or do I go, Ooh, I have a wound that's, that's being touched right now. Or, Ooh, I'm taking this personally. Let me question my story that I'm telling myself. Let me figure out what the need is here and, and strategize on behalf of it and execute on it. Like, how do you show up when stuff happens? And it will happen way, way, way less and less, but we're still going to be humans forever. And upholding it means like your approach and response to the things that are taking place. That's beautiful. I I so agree. And I think if you can look at it as an opportunity for growth. Yes. (laughs) Yeah. That, you know, real high level of curiosity. How can I be so curious about what this is? What, what wound is it connected to? And then how can I be so um, self-compassionate and, you know, talk, talk to myself the way that I needed to be talked to as a child. So some of that inner child work and see, seeing it as an opportunity for healing instead of reacting to it. hundred percent. I could not yeah. agree more. And it's so funny, literally before you said compassion, I was going to say, like, I have to add in the compassion is so the important. Compassion. I think that that's one of the most yeah. important parts of healing. Like, I feel like if we mm-hmm. don't have that component of mm-hmm. being able to like be kind to ourselves, gentle to ourselves, show up for ourselves, then like, And what I find in like extreme parallels is we hold space for the depth of love in our lives that reflects how compassionate we actually are to ourselves. It's so true. Yeah. Like if I'm constantly beating myself up or putting myself down, I'm loving myself conditionally. And then I only have room for more conditional life and my love in my life. But as I like open more and become more compassionate, more understanding, I have that space for somebody else and I can also receive it from somebody else as well. So it's a huge point of shifting. I know it really is, isn't it? That, that realization, it makes me think about how I'll work with people and they'll say, oh, there's all these emotionally unavailable people in the world. I can't seem to date anybody. Who's <laughs> oh, your shadow is that you're emotionally unavailable. <laughs> then they realize that they themselves are emotionally unavailable, but a lot of times that's happening on this unconscious level. Logically, they think they are emotionally available, but they're not. So I, I just love the work that you're doing. I can see so much alignment in I what, what I, I teach and what you teach. Yeah. Um, I feel like when you sort of dig deep enough, you find like very similar roots around. Yeah. 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 There was one other thing I was, I was um, thinking about as you were talking about things to expect as you're really going to that uh, behavior change and moving to secure attachment one other thing is the, um, I don't even, the, the amplifying of the old behavior right before you're really making the change. There's a word for this. I'm not remembering right now, but it's like extinction behavior. Um, but essentially, like as you're moving towards secure attachment, if you were previously anxiously attached, as you're doing some of that final work where you're really making the the move, you may see this huge spike of anxious behavior. 
and it's your your brain is saying okay it's still here but we need to fully let it go it's your subconscious mind trying to maintain its comfort zone right right because these patterns are like death to self so like to self yeah like originally when these imprints took place it's such a powerful point you're making is like originally when these imprints took place like they were strategies when we were like trauma in childhood like even though they may not be trauma the way we think of trauma consciously like oh the big car accident is you know but like when you're a child and you're wired for attunement and connection and consistency and then let's say somebody's anxious and mom and dad work all the time and they go away for long periods of time and you have that like juxtaposition of perceived abandonment happening all the time like mom and dad are here and they're loving and then they're gone for long periods a child's nervous system is literally in a state of trauma when it's exposed to that and so then we adapt these patterns to try to save ourselves during that traumatic event. And those strategies become things that are like very much tied to our perception of us surviving at Mm -hmm. a deep, deep subconscious level. And so then of course, when you start trying to change and going through change, I think number one, we, we start seeing the behaviors more. We're like, Mm -hmm. Ooh, this anxiety. And we start being more in touch with feeling our own feelings because we're getting in touch with ourselves. So I think that makes it feel like it's amplified combined with the fact that like literally our subconscious mind, as we start to really transition, is going to try to do everything to hold us back and maintain Mm -hmm. its familiar space and the attachment strategies that saved it once upon a time and help to survive. And so like actually kicking them to the curb right at those like pivotal moments, we can really be tested in those certain situations. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I'm glad that we can talk about this because I think sometimes people on their healing journey, they're not self-compassionate and they're like, oh, I know better. I shouldn't be doing this. But the fact is that's part of healing is you're building that awareness. And when those behaviors pop up and you're aware of it, it's a chance for you to just realign with the version of you that is securely attached. And the way that you respond to it is what's most important. hundred yeah. percent. And I think too, like we see so many people go through this. And I think sometimes, because you sort of brought this up and I think it's a really important reminder, like we don't become securely attached and then we're like, God, we just don't have any issues. What happens usually is people get really good in one area of their life. And then suddenly the problems start popping up and the wounds stop popping up in their family relationships or in their career area or in their, and we're always going to be healing and growing. And like, it's always going to be you know, it will get way easier. I I really truly believe that because I've had that experience and seen that with so many people, but you still have new challenges and they take on different forms. And they, those forms are in different areas of life. Like you may jump into a new business and be like, Whoa, I've never had this type of business before. And now you're figuring out things in that area. And you have little triggers in that area that you have to work on and show up for. And, and so there's this ongoing like journey, but it gets easier. It's important to do the work. It's, you know, really, really healing. And it's important mm-hmm. to be consistent, but never to like have expectations of ourselves that like, oh, if we made a mistake and we're not perfect, then, you know, something's wrong with us or, or whatever it might be. Absolutely. I love that point. Yeah. And I know Tony Robbins always says you're either growing or you're dying. So it's always <laughs> better to be growing. Right. So um, I think the biggest thing is that commitment to the lifelong growth. And once, once you make that decision that, Hey, I'm committed to lifelong growth, lifelong healing, then the journey is so peaceful from there because you know that I'm going to keep showing up for myself, no matter what, no matter how hard it is. 
I agree so much. And I I love that you said that, like the showing up for yourself, no matter what is huge too. Yeah. This has been such a great conversation. Is there anything that we didn't get to or anything that you would like to add? No, I'm like amazed. I'm, I chat with so many people and like, we have so much alignment, like just things you're saying. I'm like, wow, I say those exact things in different ways. Like it's, it's really, I know it's wild. (laughs) The only thing I was going to add right at the end really quick is just that the compassion isn't just in our internal dialogue. It's not just in like not beating ourselves up. It's also in like, yeah, I'm going to take myself to dinner anyways. It's in like, I'm going to have the bubble bath anyways. Like, oh yeah, I made the biggest mistake at work today and I'm still going to go for the workout after work. I'm still going to cook the healthy meal. Like it's in our internal dialogue, but also in our behaviors and the way we treat our emotions when we go through stuff. And that was all I wanted to add. That's so big. That makes me think about identity. And I know we we could probably do a whole other episode (laughs) on identity, but that true compassion is that alignment to that healed identity. Yeah, definitely. Right. And knowing that, Hey, I can, I can choose the behaviors that align with that version of me that is self-loving, that is healed, that is securely attached. And I can choose them no matter what I did that day or what, what mistake I made. So, so that that sounds like another episode, but (laughs) I love that point so much. Thank you for that. And how can people connect with you? I want to make sure the audience can connect with you. What's the best way? Um, well, I put free daily content out on YouTube. So it's, um, personal development school dash Thais Gibson. And then I have a whole website. I wrote like 45 different courses. We add a new one every month. There's courses on boundaries and codependency and reprogramming your attachment style and relationships in the six stages and like all kinds of stuff. And that's at www.personaldevelopmentschool.com. And you're on IG too, right? Yes. What's how do they find Personal you on IG? Development underscore school. Okay. I love it. You have such great content. I checked out her content, y'all, and it's really good. So make sure you go check it out. And I just want to say a huge thank you. Really appreciated this conversation. I do ask one more question before I let you go. Okay. So if you were walking down the street and there's just someone random and they ask you for your best life advice right now, it doesn't have to be like your life advice of all time, but currently what would you say to them is your best life advice? My best life advice I think in terms of, honestly, the place I go first is always compassion. I'm like, be mm-hmm. kind to yourself. Like I always go there first, but I would say, cause we talked about that so much to change it up. I would say like really to monitor your internal dialogue throughout the day and to realize like there's sort of two features happening at all times. And it's like your thought patterns and then there's your needs. And like the way we're all running, the, the way the mind works all day long is it's like a maze. Like I picture a maze and it's like, you have needs. Your brain's always trying to get through the maze, but according to your belief patterns. So if you believe like, you know, you maybe have a need for friendships and social connection and emotional connection, but then you believe I'm disliked, you know, I am unworthy of friendships. I'm unlovable, all these different things. Then your mind is always going to get its needs met in these like very slow ways, like through watching too much reality TV or reading too many magazines or all these things that are very indirect. And the more we can like see when we're not getting needs met fully, that it's probably because we have fears around them that are these belief patterns blocking us like in that maze. Mm -hmm. And we can start removing those beliefs. The more directly we meet our needs in life, 
the more fulfilled we feel and the more still the mind then becomes. And so I think the more we're like allowing ourselves to observe our patterns, observe our internal dialogue, observe our behaviors and see how it sort of relates to that framework. I feel like we can really maximize the fulfillment more so in our life. That's beautiful. I love that. Thanks. (laughs) Wow. What a golden piece of info to end with. Thank you so much. And thanks again for coming on. So appreciate you being a guest and the show is let's get vulnerable. And I feel like we did that got vulnerable. So thank you so much. Um, So much for having me. I really, really enjoyed this. Of course, of course. And everyone, thanks for tuning in. Make sure that you let us know what you thought of this episode. You can take us on Instagram. We'd love to hear from you. Um, And of course, everyone, I'm wishing you high self-worth and great relationships. We'll talk to you soon. You guys, thanks for tuning in. I really appreciate each and every one of you. The best way that you can thank me is by sharing this episode on Instagram, Facebook, and making sure that you tag me at Dr. Morgan Coaching. And it would really mean the world to me if you took just two minutes to leave me a five-star review on iTunes. This podcast is not free to produce. And the more that you help this little show grow, the more people will have access to this valuable information. So until next time, I'm wishing you high self-worth and great relationships. Thank you for being part of this community.